Welcome to episode 230 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. So this week, Dirk, we're going to take a, another uh, dive into the world of techno-utopia. Uh, last week, we talked about that a little bit in the context of the big four, the, the GAFA, the, the Google... Amazon, Facebook, Apple, or maybe I got those out of order. But uh, sounds good to me. But uh, this week uh, we're going to talk about uh, part of the Googles, uh, actually part of the Alphabet. If uh, uh, you remember, uh, Alphabet is the parent company of Google now, and they have a lot of interesting uh, other companies under that Alphabet umbrella, uh, which includes a firm called Sidewalk Labs, which is a smart cities uh, technologies firm. And uh, that firm has some pretty big ambitions. Uh, sort of what came to the fore over the you know the past uh, month or so is they're working with the city of Toronto uh, to build a mixed-use community in some land in Toronto by the waterfront that is sort of uh, badly in need of uh, uh, redevelopment. And it's it's really a, a interesting, maybe not startling, but but very intriguing vision of, you know, what the future city might look like. And sort of key to this whole um, design endeavor from Sidewalk Labs is the idea that they're building from uh, the ground up, from, you know, the internet infrastructure all the way up. So they're going to leverage uh, all types of different technologies that that they have their fingers in as part of the the alphabet uh, pie, if you if you pardon the uh, uh, the mixed metaphors. So you've got, uh, uh, for instance, self driving cars. That's a very big uh, element of Google's uh, future R and D, and. Uh, you know, they're going to incorporate the self-driving car as part of this uh, urban development. They're going to experiment with new uh, building techniques. They're going to, uh, of course, build this huge data infrastructure. Uh, they're going to create uh, various uh, ways of mitigating climate change, for instance, and, and um, uh, sort of uh, enabling the residents to have comfortable living uh, you know, as as the climate changes. So it's a very uh, broad and ambitious uh, pilot that they have. They're starting off with 12 acres. There's 880 acres total uh, in this uh, very large area of, of Toronto uh, by the waterfront uh, that that is potentially, you know, could be could be built up based on the results of this of this pilot. Uh, but they're starting with 12 acres and, you know, all the drawings, all of the all of the plans they have posted on the Sidewalk Lab site are very um, uh, techno-utopian and very uh, uh, exciting if you believe what the results uh, of that will be. Uh, on the uh, other side of the coin, you have the Toronto Star, uh, which... Uh, uh, you know, uh, posted an editorial which said, hey, this looks fantastic, but hey, guys, um, we might want to really make sure that we're not entering into minority report territory here, uh, which is, of course, the Philip K. Dick uh, story that was turned into the movie with Tom Cruise, where sort of everybody is plugged into this uh, advertising-filled future where you are recognized everywhere you go and your data is just sort of part of this larger conglomerate 
that is accessed all the time, and privacy is a uh, will o' the wisp, right? Privacy is is slowly leaking away. Uh, also, I saw a, a good point uh, made uh, by a, com uh, a commenter uh, who said, "Yeah, and by the way, there's a real diverse population here. You know, the elderly, the uh, you know, the poor, people who are maybe underserved by your typical uh, tech." Uh, firm. Uh, so does techno-utopia include uh, everybody, or does it just include the people who are most benefiting from it now? So with that uh, rather rambling preamble, Dirk, your thoughts on uh, on uh, Google's Sidewalk Labs and the Toronto project? Yeah, it's an interesting story. It certainly isn't a surprising one. I mean, these are deep roots for Google, and from the standpoint that they even, A, it, it reflects things from the earliest days of Google, but B, it's it's an approach to community building that you know goes back well over a century. So there's the idea of what what are known as company towns, and company towns started in the 19th century. They started around as a direct consequence of the Industrial Revolution, and they too started out as utopias. The idea was, you know, we have this steel mill, or a very famous one is Pullman, Illinois, which Pullman is a town south of Chicago that was started by the Pullman railroad car company. And this whole city was started and created so the employees had somewhere to work and live and, and all of this stuff. Um, so there, there's all these different examples of it. They, they, were, they were almost all utopian um, in conception. They were seen as this wonderful opportunity to provide for the workers, to benefit the business, for it all to go well. And almost without exception, they, they ended up being very dystopic in, in their conception. I mean, Pullman, um, as one example, you know, when there was a, a stock market crash or something in the early 1890s, they had horrible issues. And, the, the, you know, the employees were let go, and, and it created all of these problems in their lives. There's the, the many um, really brilliantly diabolical stories of company towns where they created their own currency and were, you know, paying employees in their own currency that could only be spent in their town, and then Im imposing on top of that, like, bank-related fees and having inflation and doing these crazy things so that they, people at the end of the day were being paid very little because they were caught in this bubble and using this, this fixed economy and this fixed currency. Just as a couple of examples. So this idea of a corporation with sort of utopian dreams creating living communities um, has a long history, and it's a long history that is a dark history for the most part. In terms of Google specifically, I mean, look, from the earliest days of Google, they were one of the leaders in sort of the Silicon Valley um, give your employees this lifestyle that would let them live in your building 24-7, basically, um, which, again, on the surface, and, you know, this was happening when I was in Silicon Valley, so I had um, a lot of exposure to it, both directly inside Google, but also through people that I, I know, you know, in the early days of the availability of those services, it was something really special and new. I mean, the you know, all of the different types of food, of course, is what's talked about the most. But any number of services from r remote car washing coming and having your car washed during the day, dry cleaning being taken out, um, you know, having living quarters that are nearby and available. And I mean, uh, these are things that Google has done from, from the very earliest stages and are things that, um, you know, Silicon Valley has really embraced and have become sort of 
I would say punchline-y at this point about Silicon Valley companies. But in the beginning, it was good. It was it was something that the companies did, um, you know, for, for sort of the right reasons. I think in general, while also, of course, looking to benefit and profit by it. But for employees, it was good as well. Like the early narrative on this stuff wasn't people saying, "Oh, these greedy effers are trying to trap me here all the time." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like. It's inconvenient to get my car washed. Now it's magically washed. It's inconvenient to deal with the stupid dry cleaning. They're closed on these days and they have weird times. And now my stuff is just magically done. Like this is really, really incredible. But by the end of it, it had transformed people's lives and lifestyles into ones that were were um, sort of codependent on, on the company. So, you know, both in a long history of company towns in, in Google sort of being um, one of the leaders uh, certainly not the only ones, but with sort of this whole Silicon Valley movement of trying to create infrastructure, sort of lifestyle infrastructure to integrate people's um, personal lives with their professional life for Google. Um, these things generally aren't super at the end of the day. They, they look great at the beginning. Everybody's excited. There are definitely benefits to it. Um, but but as it evolves, you know, not so well. And you know, here in Toronto, I think the concerns, particularly around uh, gentrification and creating a space that will be for young, well-educated, wealthy people, I mean, that's pretty likely. I'll, I'll be impressed and surprised if Google pulls something different off, but that's what I would expect. And I'm sure it will be um, racially diverse. I'm sure it will be gender diverse. But And we, this goes back to a show when we were talking about Silicon Valley culture. I don't know if it was earlier this year or last year, but... Um, there's going to be, I, I suspect, that lack of economic diversity um, and certainly getting into some of the ageist stuff as well, a pretty, pretty young, young population most likely. And again, maybe they'll, maybe they'll surprise us, but um, you would expect that that's the path we're going to head down. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting take. I think, you know, as, as I look at this, there was, there was something that popped out to me, which was that, you know, part of their plans is to have this underground system where, where they'll handle, you know, the, the refuse, you know, the, um, you know, garbage collection, things like that, uh, which reminds me a little bit of the way Disney has planned out, you know, their theme parks and Epcot, et cetera, to, you know, disguise the, um, all, you know, all the services sort of underneath Right. Uh, which is an excellent metaphor. Right. So so these are the undesirable things. Right. So your garbage is smelly and, you know, it piles up and it's uh, you, you know, you'd much rather uh, pretend that you don't have any garbage. Right. But the fact is, you know, when we put more and more layers between ourselves and our behavior, so uh, we sort of lose touch with the consequences. So when you see a whole bunch of recycling sitting in your kitchen after a week and you go, holy smokes, I actually do use a lot of plastic. How about that? And look at all this cardboard. And I don't know, it's just interesting. It reminds you that it's there. Same thing, you know, the stinky food. You think, oh, I'm wasting food. Or, wow, why is this food, you know, smells so bad? Oh, I threw out that that piece of meat that I really should have cooked, you mm -hmm. know. But, uh, you know, I got lazy and I just ordered takeout, blah, blah, blah. So reminding 
ourselves of the way we interact with the world around us, with nature, with, you know, the things that smell, the things that stink, <laughs> our, our waste are we products. About, are we talking about nature or garbage or poop here, John? Uh, yeah, Whatever no, I'm talking about the whole thing. So <laughs> so sometimes it's it's good to have a reminder that that your shit does stink, right? Uh-huh. That, that you are a messy human being, and sometimes it's okay to be messy. Um, and I think the more we remove ourselves from that and, and elevate, like, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, angelic status, right, where our spaces are all sort of geared to, to us and we have this techno bubble around us, which we do already. But, uh, you know, taking that to the next degree, I, I, I do think there's, there's an interesting uh, tension there, I think. Um, and, and I'm not sure that, at least from my perspective, I'm, I'm not sure that I like that. I like the understanding of how I'm part of the greater system. And I really don't need my every need catered to. Um, I'm, I'm quite all right cleaning up after myself, thank you. So um, that part doesn't appeal to me. Uh, and and it, the addition, sort of the, the loss of uh, privacy that, I mean, there's going to be accounts, right? Quote, digital accounts for everybody who, who lives in this area so that the system can track you, you know, good morning, Mr. Follett, good morning, Mr. Niemeyer, you know, your, your coffee is ready. And you, you know, this, this, this idea that your digital footprint is, is matched to you. And it's part of this. Now, of course, for, um, you know, I think, that's really fascinating. And I bet you there's some sort of magical stuff that could happen with your digital footprint mapped to your physical footprint in the areas where you live. Uh, and at the same time, it's maybe, um, you know, maybe it's unreasonable to me uh, to, to, to be somewhat worried about that, but that that's the, um, you know, sort of the, the dark cloud that I see on the horizon. Um, not to mention, you you made a very good point with the with the but Pullman communities. You know what happens if if Google is no longer uh, you know quite so powerful? What happens when employees get laid off and you know all this cloud data is no longer as secure as it once was, or is no longer you know is sort of accessible to hackers? What you know and you see you know Mr. Robot on USA right when when the smart home goes wrong, they have a great sequence in there um, of a smart home just just rebelling right so so there's all all levels of um, uh, creepiness that can ensue uh, suffice it to say that it will be an interesting pilot I'm gonna very much keep my eyes on it um, I'm not convinced I would want to live in techno utopia a la Google flavor um, but I'd love to hear the stories that come out of it you covered a lot of ground there I mean in the, in the early parts of the clean dirty stuff you sounded like Dennis Leary and demolition man right? Um, for people who saw that 20-year-old uh, sci-fi movie. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing to remember is that it is just a pilot, right? So I'm sort of extrapolating it and seeing down the road to Google creating these, you know, communities of, of somewhat captive workforce. Um, the, the reality is this is a pilot and they're testing technology. And from that standpoint, I mean, it's a good thing, right? I mean, whether whether or not I would want to be part of the pilot is another question. But we do need to prototype and, and try out boots on the ground all of these technologies that we're now able to do and see, you know, how – how how is it a good or a bad solution if the environment is saying good morning, Mr. Follett? Right? Um, where are the risks? Where are the vulnerabilities? Where are the 
the issues, and there will there will be some. So, I mean, the, the fact that there is prototyping happening at this level, assuming it's prototyping, um, is a good thing. But the, the the directions that it can go and sort of the historical precedents for how these sort of experiments uh, tend to end up aren't encouraging. Yeah, it's it really is a, a heaven for emerging technologies. Uh, you can see probably five or six different emerging technology. You know, who knows what they're going to pull out for the construction, right, of these buildings, uh, whether there'll be some 3D printing in there, right? But there's, you know, there's so many emerging technologies converging uh, in this project. And it just reminds you of the complexity of any one of these systems, right? Like uh, self-driving cars alone, uh, you know, have, have a degree of complexity. So you have intertwined very complicated systems. Um, and, and so it's really going to show Google's ability, uh, Sidewalk Lab's ability to function on, on a system design level in, in ways that maybe we have not really seen before, uh, just because of sort of the interlocking nature of, of the data, the construction, the um, transportation, the infrastructure. So, um, you know, if it works out, I mean, they're going to have cracked a pretty significant uh, code um, uh, to your point, you know, even in previous uh, attempts, you know, of, of somewhat simpler models have uh, have failed. Um, and, you know, in, in some cases, like the uh, I think Disney Epcot had uh, had dreams of being a, 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 a utopian community of some kind when it first got started. You know, it's become something else that's kind of cool, but it's nowhere near the original vision. Well, let's talk about dystopic. You've mentioned Disney a couple of times. There is a city in Florida called Celebration, Florida, that is a Disney-designed city. And and I think for most of the listeners of this podcast, if you said, which what is the most dystopic place in the world you could live, Celebration, Florida would probably be pretty high on that list. Uh, you know, and there is also another, another sort of uh, thread back into the past is there have been a lot of cities of tomorrow over the years, right, going back to uh, Lake Corbusier going back to um, uh, a lot of our design heroes, frankly, have participated in those. And, and they've generally been wildly, um, wildly incorrect. They have been ideas and visions that the real world has not turned out looking anything at all like them. Of course, they haven't, for the most part, been prototyped on the kind of scale that Google will be prototyping. So I, I guess um, we can expect with this, this, uh, more, um, this sort of higher resolution prototype of the ideas, maybe we'll get some, some more accurate or interesting results. Yeah, yeah, the prototype at scale is is audacious, ambitious. It's great stuff. Um, we'll see uh, what the end results turn into, hopefully uh, hopefully better than some of the previous uh, techno utopias. <laughs> Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward, if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 230 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett. 
and we'll see you next time.